Reading your Bible, praying, finding time to be alone with God does not make you more acceptable to God, nor do those practices change you. Rather, it is where change happens, as we come to meet with our Father and connect with His heart. Our teacher on this important subject is author and speaker Preston Gillum of Fort Worth, Texas, when he spoke at the Christ's Life Conference hosted by Crossways to Life. May Father use this message to deepen your walk with Him. Very good. I want to pick up where we left off here and begin to talk to you not so much about the schedule, but about what I do mentally as I get ready to go on on my retreat or as I actually head out on my retreat. As you have gathered, uh, most of the time when I uh, take off on on this, I am flying. So I want to give you that illustration first. It's a little different if I'm, I'm driving because actually I use the drive time to, to prep and get focused and those sorts of things. But if I'm flying, then, um, you know, the routine that I go through is that I have used the week prior to my actual departure date to do this intensive dump because the rule of thumb is going to be for me, or the rule, not a rule of thumb, but the rule is going to be that there is going to come a point where I don't talk anymore. In other words, I've, I've, you know, been doing this offload of everything that's on my head for, you know, a month, two months, whatever, and then the last week has just been intensive. I've just been racking my brain thinking about what, it, you know, anything that I need to tell tell father and so on. Um, and so anyway, that's been very thoughtful, intensive, etc. I've carved out time for that. That's where this weekend ahead comes in and so on. So it's now the the day for me to depart. I get, get in the truck, I drive to the airport, I get on a bus, I ride the bus then to the terminal, go through all the mania that is modern-day air travel, through security, all that routine, etc. Don't want to be crass or anything, but I go take care of my business and everything, and then I come to the gate. And I stop before I actually walk into the gate area of the airport, and I say, Father... Is there anything else that I have forgotten? And if nothing else comes to my mind, then I step into the gate area. And when I step into the gate area, when I cross that line, that's when I don't talk anymore. Now then it is time for me to listen. I have spent my time talking to God. And if, you know, if, hey, if I forgot to mention that I'm having a terrible time with my marriage, it's going to have to wait. Everything, I mean, I'm, I will now have told him everything that's on my mind. And when I step into the gate area, it's time for me to be quiet. It's now time for me to listen, to go away and, and listen to what Father has to say. And he now assumes the initiative is the plan. And whatever he brings up, whatever he wants to talk about, that's what we think about. That's what we talk about. And and so on we will proceed. But you can see why I have been so intense and so on, because there comes a point where I don't talk anymore. 
let me repeat myself just a little bit about how it is that I listen to Father. There's lots of ways that you can listen to him. And we talked about these fairly extensively last night. The principal way that our Father talks to us is right here in his book. All right? And we've talked about the volume that is necessary uh, to to get the, the, the gist of what it is he's trying to say to us in here. There is the counsel of others that we've talked about. There is the uh, idea of the media that's available to us. I mean, there's a whole book table back here of stuff that presumably is stuff that is on God's mind. There's audio material. There's video. I mean, on and on this goes. Um, with you know what God is going to say. Here's the deal though, okay, and I'm going to talk a minute, I'm going to give you one more idea about thoughts in a second, but here's the thing that you've got to understand, okay? God will never tell you something in a book or an MP3 or from your pastor or in your mind or whatever that isn't founded right here in this in this book. God will never contradict his word, okay? He just won't. It's a a solid rule. It's an absolute. So when you say, well, I'm going to go listen to what God has to say to me, and you start wondering, well, I wonder if that's God or not. Well, if if it can't be traced in some sort of a fundamental principle back into his book, then it's not from God. Okay? If it violates his word, then it's not from God. So it's essential, in other words, for you, in, in ter- it, it is essential in order for you to be able to hear God that you first understand what God has put in his book. If you don't know what's in here, then you have very little chance of any confidence in knowing whether you've heard from God or not. So you got to put some time in here. And when you put, when you sit down with the book and say, Father, I'm looking to you to speak to me out of this book. Guide my thoughts. He will. He will do that. He has filled you with the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons he filled you with the Holy Spirit is so that he could, quote, lead you into all truth, end quote. That's out of the book. So you got to know what's in here. Now then, presuming that you have studied studied the book, understand what's in there in general principle and so on, and have done all those things that we kind of talked our way through last night and so on, then let me talk to you for a minute about how it is that I think you hear from God or how I think God talks to you. There's all kinds of different options that God has. I mean, he's, he can do visions. Uh, he can part water. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that God has done historically that is in his book here for the ways that he does things. For me, and here again, you're going to have to figure out what this, what this relational dance looks like between you and, and God. But for me... A lot of the conversation that I have with God goes like this. Father, you're aware of X, Y, Z. I am interested in what your perspective is on this. And I believe, Father, that you are going to guide my thoughts as we discuss this. In the name of Jesus. And then I wait to see what the thoughts are that come to me. 
Sometimes there are thoughts that I look at and I say, nope, that is not God because it contradicts this, contradicts this book. At other times, though, there are thoughts that come into my head that I recognize as being um, in concert with what God has put into his word. One of the routines that I go through uh, every time that I get ready to make a presentation or something is this. I've learned over the years that when I'm in a hotel or a private home or wherever I am, that I have one one place of uh, that's that's mine in that place. It's my room, and that's what belongs to me for however long I'm you know at you know away from home. And as long as I'm in my room, so to speak, I'm safe. And I, I have my space and my time, etc. But as soon as I open the door, all bets are off. If it's a hotel, there may be somebody walking down the hall. you know. Or if there's not anybody walking down the hall and I push the button on the elevator, sure enough, there's somebody that's going to the conference or knows me or whatever, and they're on the elevator. And if it's a home, then somebody, you know, the kid's running up and down the hall or something like that. So the only place I've got is my room. And so here's the routine that I go through when I get ready to to leave my room. And I did this this evening. I step up to the door, which is closed. You know, I make a point of closing the door. Step up to the door, and I've, I'm ready to go out. I've got my jacket on. i got my hat. You know, got my briefcase or my pack or whatever. And I stand at the door, and I say, Father... As soon as I open the door, all bets are off. Do you have any final words for me? Got anything you need to say to me before I open this door? And then I get quiet and I listen. And um, he'll say all sorts of things. Tonight, as I stood there, he the thoughts came into my mind, which I believe were from him because they are in concert with what I find in his book. The thoughts came to me. Press, trust me tonight. Okay, Father, I do trust you, and I want to trust you. And Press, I want you to listen to me. I'm doing my best, Father. I know you are, but I want you to listen to me. Why did you tell me that twice, Father? Because it's important to me that you understand that tonight I want you to listen carefully because I want to talk to you tonight, not just to these people. Okay, Father, I'm listening best I know how. I know you are. All right. We're ready. Let's go. Okay. And then I check my fly. (laughs) And then and only then, then and only then do I reach for the doorknob. Okay? Now that is how I listen to God. And I believe by faith that the thoughts that come are coming from Father. Think about, think about the implications if the thoughts that come are not from him and he's, he allows that. It would be the rough equivalent of a dad, uh, standing, you know, in the swimming pool or whatever and saying to his son, jump and I'll catch you. Trust me. You can believe in me. And as soon as the kid jumps, Dad steps away and lets him hit. What father would do that? 
If I go to my father and I say, Father, I'm getting ready to jump here. Uh, I need some guidance. Do you have any final words for me? And he's saying, press, trust me. Jump. Believe in me. Listen to me. I will, I will guide you. I care about you. I want to live through you. Trust me. Jump. I believe that he will catch me. I believe that he will speak to me. He wants to communicate, and that's my belief as to how he does that in my thought life. Again, the things that come to my mind will never, they will never, ever, no, not ever contradict or add to what's in this book. Okay? All right. Give yourself a break. Um, I talked last night about how that I had gone for a walk. I was talking to Father, and there were just all these thoughts coming, and everything, you know, just, a, just, just a, a jumble of thought. Everything from the guy that had put copper gutters on his house to what, you know, what was going on with the name. I mean, just it was just this. And I, I had apologized to God four times before I'd ever gone a block for not being focused. And then I got this thought in my mind: Press. Do you not understand that I gave you a quick mind? Do you not understand that I gave you an inquisitive mind? Do you not think that I can keep up with your mind? I made it. So just think, press. Think. Be yourself. I will keep up. And if I got something to say, I got plenty of resources to tell you. Okay. All right. God's responsible for talking. I'm responsible for doing what he wants me to do. Also, understand there are going to be distractions. The things I'm talking about tonight, they're formulaic, they're step-by-step. There are distractions. There are distractions at the airport. There's the distraction of a new place. There's the distraction of just getting used to solitude and discipline. the discipline of solitude. I mean, there isn't anything quite so quiet as solitude. You've got to get used to that. I mean, the first time I went on a, on a personal retreat... It was like the, the, the silence was deafening, you know, and it was like, oh, my soul, what do I do now? You know, it was just weird. And it took a while to get that rhythm and to get the hang of solitude. So my personal retreat then, I show up at the place that I'm going to retreat to, and the first thing that I do is I begin to, re- I mean, after I've gotten settled and so on, the first thing I do is I begin the review of that journal that I have created, that journal entry that I've created that is nothing but the the um, edited journal giving me the long list of everything that God has done in my life over the last year. And I sit down and I say, Father, I'm going to review the things that you have done in my life. And I begin to read. And as I begin to read, I get some new thoughts and so on. And I think that is all part of the discussion that goes on between God and me while I have sought this solitude, while I have gone away, while I have slipped away, while I have gone up to the mountain and sought solitude and gone away just as Jesus did. And I believe that's Father beginning to do his work, capitalizing on the things that he has already been doing in my life. And as he begins to speak to me about these things and so on, guess what I'm doing? 
I've got the journal for November 2008 open, and I'm writing those things down. I'm making some notes. Sometimes I write in paragraphs. Sometimes I write in bullets. Every now and then, there will be some sort of a major point that God will camp on. And I'll uh, describe a couple of those for you here in just a minute. And when he does that, sometimes that becomes the focal point for the entire retreat, for the entire time. And I'll, I'll give you some illustrations of that in just a sec. One of the other things that I will do, remember I said that, you know, what do I take with me? I said I take a particular book with me. I read a fair bit, and over the course of a year, there might be one book, maybe one book, that is influential in my life. Now, you know, if I'm reading a book and I don't like it, I quit it and put it away. So all the books that I finish are books that I feel like have some merit to them. But maybe once a year, I'll pick up a book that I start reading, and as I start reading, I say, oh my, this is an influential book, and it's challenging me, and it's causing me to grow and to think, and as I, as I look, I have a particular way that I mark a book so that I can go back through and review the book uh, real quickly. If there um, is simply something that I want to note, I put a check mark beside that sentence. If it's a particularly important point, I put two check marks. If it is something that is a critically important concept, I put three check marks. Very few three check marks in a typical book. If there is an action item, something that I need to go back to and think about, I put a little arrow beside it with 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 two two um, uh marks at the end of it. And I can go I can flip back through there and see those arrows and say, ah, oh, I need to do something with this. And so I come to a, a particular book then that um, has a, a a really important point for me to consider. One of the books that I uh, took away at one point in time was the book that I mentioned right at the first of our session, Peter Drucker's book, The Effective Executive. Another book that I took with me one time was John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart, because in that book, uh, John writes about going to your Heavenly Father and, you know, you've already done some advance work where you think through the ideas of what kinds of names did you get called as a as a kid growing up, uh, were you called stupid? Were you called fatty? Were you called you know doughhead, knucklehead, potlicker? What were you called growing up? And what was the impact of that on you? What does your heavenly Father call you? Was John's question. And John then set up in his book a a scenario where you went to God and asked him, who am I? What do you call me? What's my name? And uh, that was a very moving piece of literature for me. And so I took John's book, Wild at Heart, with me on a particular retreat, and I focused on that particular section of his book, Father, What is My Name? And so I talked with him about who am I, what is my name, and so on. Libby Gill wrote a book called uh, Traveling Hopefully. It's a secular book. 
But in that, she talked about the concept of a support squad, people that you put around you who are encouragers to you and support you and are your cheerleaders, etc. And it it was uh, had a big impact on me when I read that. Who who are the people that are part of my support squad? And I thought about it, discussed it with Father as I walked in the evening and so on, like I've talked to you about, and believed that's the book I ought to take with me on my personal retreat. So I took that one year, and I worked my way through the idea of a support squad. I've taken uh, Malcolm Smith's book on the Blood Covenant with me. Um, years ago, I took C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain, uh, with me because you know pain is part of my life and and I was in the midst of trying to struggle through what is this stuff how do I manage it how do I think about it what's the point of it where is God in all of this and Lewis had particularly spoken to me in his book The Problem of Pain and on on many levels not just the pain level and so I took that book with me one time and so on it goes in other words these are not lightweight type books. They're not fun books. They're not fiction books. They're not uh, things that are to entertain me. I don't take anything to entertain me. Nothing. Don't take one single thing to entertain me. The only things I take are things that have spoken to me into my heart that I feel have been words from God over the course of the year because I want to devote myself This maybe is part of that fasting concept of the personal disciplines, the spiritual disciplines that we were talking about. I don't take anything to entertain me. Instead, I spend the week focused on, Father, what do you have to say to me? So I take that one book, and those are some examples of it. And then I review the issues, topics, burdens, etc., the personal items that I've offloaded, the things that are surfacing out of this this journal entry that I've compiled of the things that Father has said to me as things come up, then we talk about those things. Whatever seems to be the stuff that is driven by God, that starts jumping out of the screen at me, and I say, oh, I forgot that, or oh my, and there's a conviction inside me. You'll you'll hear about conviction in a minute in the journal entry that I'm going to share with you. That's where I begin to focus. I say, Father, talk to me more about this. And as thoughts come into my mind, now I'm back over into my journal for November. And I'm, I'm typing in there and, and so on. Again, for all the reasons that I talked about last night, that journal for me, that writing, it requires that I think through and that I don't wind up with a bunch of presuppositions and that sort of thing and gloss, glossing over of, of terms and, and so on. It disciplines me, I think, as the scripture says, for the purpose of godliness. It helps me think through what is a godly thought in response to what I'm seeing here. So some examples um, one year, the thing that began to jump out at me was this verse that has been um, kind of the forefront, kind of on the front burner for the last three or four years with Father and me. Philippians one twenty one: for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that verse then... 
uh, as I had thought about it, we'd discussed it in our walks in the neighborhood and that sort of thing, that verse then began to get tied to a second verse that formed part of, or a major part of one of my uh, week-long retreats, Philippians 3, 7, and 8. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Now then, let me tell you what the focal point here. I mean, there's a litany of things that Paul is writing about where he is taking personal inventory and saying, I have this and this and this and this and this and this, all of which are, you know, really valuable assets to me. But when I consider those in view of knowing Christ, I consider them loss. And then he goes on and says, no, it's not just loss. I consider them rubbish. Well, the word rubbish is a very nice English word. That's not what is in the original language. The word that the original language is communicating here that we have translated rubbish so that it will be nice and be able to be read from the pulpit the word is the vilest form of human excrement. We got rubbish in the English, but that's what the Greek is. The vilest form of human excrement. And so when Paul evaluated his litany of resources, he looked at it. And you know the proper English word for what he really called that. Yeah, but we can't say that word. But that's what he called it. And that captured me. And that's where Father wanted to camp. And so I said, Father, you want to talk about this, don't you? I was on a retreat at Doc Bob's, and Doc Bob's is a farm. And you know what's around on farms, don't you? Everywhere I went, that's what I saw. And Father spoke to me, and he talked to me. And he began to isolate for me the, the question that he had been asking me as we walked in the neighborhood press. Is it Christ alone? Or is it Christ plus this, 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 and this? What is it, press? You answer. Help me here. Talk to me. And all the while I walked and all the while I thought and so on, guess what I was stepping over? Father's amazing the way he guides and nurtures. Um, he's masterful at this. Another time I had had an experience right before I um, went on one of my retreats. And um, the issue related to significance. To significance. And I was struggling with that. I'd had a tough year. A book had gone out of print. I'd lost a radio program in Chicago. And on and on this went. Just, you know, everything had just kind of fallen apart. And I was left saying, gee whiz, you know, um, do I matter anymore? Am I making any contributions that are of, of benefit to anyone, et cetera? And I was just getting the daylights beat out of me on this subject. 
And uh, as time went, I just was really down and just feeling like, hey, I just need to hang up my spurs and forget it, you know. And I came home and I had received a Christmas letter uh, from a friend. And uh, I presume you guys do the same thing, but in, at Christmas time, we write these letters uh, about our family and business and everything, and they're all lies. And we send these to our friends and family at Christmas time. And this guy had you know, sent me his annual letter of lies. And he's got his picture in there with his family. And he's handsome and she's pretty and all their kids are pretty. And now they got grandkids and the grandkids are all pretty. And the dog's pretty and the car's washed and blah, blah, blah. And I look at this. And I, you know, and, and the, you know, I glance through the letter, and he's making a million dollars, and got this, you know, and on it goes. And I wad this thing up, and I just throw it in the garbage, and I get the dog and tell Diane, you know, I'm going for my walk. And uh, so I, I left the, I left the house, and I went about a block or so, and I sat out on the curb on Warner Road. And I said, Father, I may make you mad at me, and if so, I'm sorry. Um, I have great respect for all the things that you have said that you have done for me. I know that I have a new identity in Christ, that I'm holy and blameless and sanctified and justified and that I always walk in your triumph, and about 300 other things that I found scriptures for and have up at the office. But Father, with all due respect, those characteristics apply to everybody that sits in the pew who's a believer. What I want to know, Father, is if I cease to exist today, would you have a bad day tomorrow? That's what I want to know. Do I matter? Do I matter? Was what I was asking him. And so I got, you know, hunkered down and waited for the lightning bolt to hit me. And uh, so I was sitting there and I looked north on Warner Road, and I looked south, and I didn't see anybody running. It was dark, cold. Didn't see anybody out running. I smelled. Didn't smell anybody smoking on their front porch. I listened. There weren't even any airplanes flying in the flight pattern out of Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. No jets coming out of Meacham. I listened again, and all I could hear was just kind of the dull noise of the city. To the best of my awareness, I was all by myself, sitting on the curb on Warner Road. And I knew Father was there, and so I began to wonder, is it possible for anyone else to share this time and space with me? And so I grabbed Honey the dog. And I pulled her over against me and I, I hugged her close and I put my face into her red hair. And I got really close to her. But I couldn't get her close enough. She was still occupying a different time and 
place than me in space. And I thought, well, if Diane was here, could I get close enough to her? Could I pull her tight enough that, that in our, in our close oneness of marriage, could, could we be in the same place in time and space? And I came to the conclusion, there is no way that any other human being occupies the same place in time and space that I do. I occupy a singular place and God occupies that space with me. And that makes me significant. That's why I matter. And I got up and went home. And then I went on my retreat. And I began to think through the concept of being blessed by God. The thing we talked about the very first night. And that is the backdrop against which I began to think through. Do I want the blessing of what mankind thinks of me? Or do I want the blessing of my Heavenly Father? for whom I am singularly significant. That was one of the things we talked about on our personal retreat. When I go away, I go to places that don't have a TV. I go to places that don't have a telephone. When I go to Doc Bob's, I have to walk 20 minutes up a hill in the dark to make my cell phone work. And when I get up there, I have even planned how to turn that to my advantage. I go up, I walk up in the dark so that my eyes get used to the dark. I call Diane, check in with her, be sure nothing wild is happening, and so on. And then I turn my phone off and I wait for dark to fall. Because when dark falls, you know what happens? The coyotes talk. And they're right here. They're close. I can hear them. I can hear them moving. I can hear them howling at the moon. And to me, that is part of the solitude that is Doc Bob's. So I manage the distractions, in other words. I stay up until Father's done talking. And then I go to bed. And when I get up, I fix breakfast and I sit down. And I listen. And I write until about noon. And then my brain is fried. And I eat lunch. And then I head out. And I don't care if I'm in Arkansas or Montana or wherever I am. I head out in the afternoon and I walk until dinner, or I just hang out in the woods until dinner, and I take that piece of paper with me so that I can write things down. I take that recorder with me. I take the phone so that I can make notes and send them to myself, etc. But I go out then in the afternoon, and I walk with God. You know why? Because there are several passages that talk about this man walked with God. And I figure that there is a walking in your heart, and there is a literal walking. I want to be known to my father as a man who walks with him. And so I walk. I walk at night. When I go on a retreat, 
I walk. When I go on a half a day retreat, I walk. I walk until I can't walk and then I sit down and so on it goes. The fall of 2007, I wrote a journal entry that I want to share with you. The detail of it isn't necessarily what I want you to try to grasp or the message is not what I want you to grasp. What I want you to grasp is the thought process that is going on. The, uh, the way that I'm sorting, uh, it's not rational, it's back and forth, so it's somewhat irrational, it's not sequential necessarily. Um, I'll try to give you some hints, I'll, I'll, you know, if you were to see my notes, there would be the long dash, you know, an M dash, and I would break into uh, a, a, a direct conversation with God, and then I'll back out of that and into my own thoughts and so on. So it's back and forth, etc., that I'm going, and I want to give this so that you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll see the way that I'm processing and so on so that you can get the idea of what I'm talking about with uh, with this journal. Also, you'll you'll see as you pay attention to the dates that I'm going I'm going through the year of, of journal entries and I'm going back through the things that Father has said and I'm doing this for six years earlier. And so I'm reviewing, okay, uh, as I uh, am going through this particular uh, retreat and journal entries. November the 2nd of 2007, 721 in the morning. I reviewed this morning my compiled notes from my personal retreat in November 2001 at Doc Bob's. I am sobered and I am troubled that I have forgotten and failed on so many fronts. Granted, I have captured the most important, I think, who I am. By captured, I mean that I am implementing with some regularity and that who I am is a benchmark of clarity that I am consistently relying upon in difficulties and in the fog of battle. However, I have failed on a number of fronts. It was only last week that I was once again wrestling to locate my contentment, something that I wrote about in 2001. Of course, and here's this M-dash quote, Father, please guide these thoughts as I write and sort and discern. End of quote, M-dash. Of course, had contentment not been foremost in my mind, I would not have been able to speak with such focus to Mark while we walked Martin's Ranch last Friday. And my lack of contentment in 2001 was generating envy, bitterness, jealousy, and discontent. And I do feel that these have abated considerably. So, that is progress. In other words, I'm saying, you know, okay, looking back, Father is is walking me along. I'm getting beat up by the devil. I'm not knowing what to do that. I'm looking back here, reviewing. Father's speaking to him. saying, oh, so there is some progress here. I would not have known that had I not journaled it. Satan would have just kicked me all around the block. But instead I can see, oh, there's progress. From January, or excuse me, from February 2001, parenthetically, I was listening to condemnation earlier in the morning And as I reflect now, there has been considerable progress over the last six years. Perhaps this is a review and a reminder, which never hurts. But still, Father, I am listening. Close parentheses. Pain is yelling like a banshee this morning and has been since Saturday morning. Many exclamation points. Whatever in this world is its problem. Every night I have awakened, hurting, 
incredible headaches, stabbing pains across my hip and down the front of my legs, nothing to do but get up and wander the house and then return to bed and attempt to find relief of, relief of some measured sort. In February 2001, though, Father said the pain is a distraction and is the mentor necessary to help me focus in the moment, this very moment. How did I get so out of focus that it takes this kind of screaming Mimi to keep me on target? But this month's journal entries also speak of relaxing, having a good time, and living from my heart, all of which I see great progress toward. Father does say with consistency that I am to relax and have a good time, which must mean this is harder for me than I realize or he wouldn't be so persistent. Again, I see a degree of progress in that I'm having a good time and find I do default that direction in the midst of the insanity. I was experiencing panic in February 2001, panic over fear and doubt, anger and the vulnerability these pains create in my life all due to the escalation of pain. The panic has subsided six years later, and perhaps it is because I am trusting Father more and more with this goth nastiness. I've heard him say religiously when I speak to him about my pain level, quote, I've got you covered, end quote. So perhaps I'm learning and progressing. Interesting that this morning when I spoke to him of my out-of-control pain, that he didn't say anything. It was disconcerting. In fact, all of the thoughts and issues stalled while I listened desperately to hear something from him. On the other hand, there was fear that he had abandoned me to pain, which speaks to its intensity and my dependence upon Father's strength to get me through pain's assault. On the other hand... There was the horizon of belief that something must be different today than the previous day. I know he won't abandon me to the demise of my self-sufficiency, so there must be another message for me to capture. I listened, which is a great default position to revert to. I gather that the review of these journal entries from 2001 are part of his reply, and his silence left me listening intently when I sat down in the study to review the journal entries regarding which I am writing now. So I write that so that you can see, or I read that to you, so that you can see that there's incongruity in the flow of that. And it's back and forth. There is a wrestling that is occurring. There is a debate that is going on in my head. There's a spiritual warfare. I'm being attacked by the enemy. There is fear because of the pain, and I'm feeling like that I am losing control. And yet I look back into my journals, and I see Father was faithful. And I look at my entries for for that period of time, the, the 2007 entry, and I see that Father is capitalizing on something that he did six years ago, and he's showing me that he's faithful. Now, for a guy who has had an Achilles heel of of, of an inability to trust God, do you see what Father has done? He's used this journal to thread a common thread, a, to make a point that is six years in the making to say, I was faithful to you in 2001 and I am faithful to you again in 2007. And that's what he wanted to talk about during this retreat period. And so I left and I went and I talked with him about this. So I do this for a week or however long. I come home and I debrief. Now let me talk real quickly about that and then I'll bring this to a close. As I uh, debrief, like I said, I 
I count, I make that a, I schedule that on the calendar so that when I get home, I have time for that. Furthermore, I prepare Diane for what that debrief time is going to look like. Now, I've also trained her pretty well for what that, for what that two day period is going to look like. She knows, excuse me, she knows that when I get home from this retreat, first of all, I've been talking to her every night. When I'm away, I call her, tell her, here's what Father's doing in my life. So she can kind of gauge the intensity of this thing going on for the week and what's happening, et cetera, and the kinds of things that I'm thinking about. And after seeing nobody for a week, I've forgotten how to talk by the time I get home, you know? And so she knows that, that when I get home, I'm still going to be, you know, running down certain trails in my head, thinking about things that Father and I have been talking about for the last week. She understands that just because I'm home, it doesn't mean that I'm going to bed at our normal 9.30 bedtime. She knows that I'm going to be sitting on the patio listening and pondering and discussing with Father until he gets done talking, and then I'm going to come to bed. So I prepare her for that. Furthermore, then, I... I prepare myself mentally to manage the uh, inevitable spiritual battle that is going to occur when I get home. I know that because Father has devoted attention to me, that has not escaped Satan's notice. And I know that when I get home, there will be any sort of variables that will come my way that will distract and distress and so on. And so I begin preparing myself for that spiritual battle before I ever uh, get home. And then I... Spend time that final weekend in a strategy of implementation. Um, I've told you that I am a list maker. I make lists. I build strategies for how I'm going to execute. I build execution plans. I put things on calendar. I, um, I create goals that are part of what Father's been saying to me. I build measurement devices to be able to say, am I going to be able to determine if I'm making any progress or not? You say, well, that sounds awfully legalistic. No, it's not legalistic at all. Anything worth doing is worth doing well, and anything worth doing well is worth worth measuring. It's one of the ways that we have, it's part of the ingenuity that God has put into the human mind to be able to think and to create systems whereby Father can say, look, you used to be here and now you're here. And you used to be here and now you're here. And by putting uh, dates and goals and structures and so on in place, it begins to help me look and say, these are the kinds of things that Father um, will be doing because we've already discussed them. They were part of the retreat. And of course, dates and calendars and all those sorts of things, I mean, hey, they change and you have to regroup and so on, and that's part of life. But it's also very reasonable to sit down and say, Father, what is the time frame for this? What would you like for me to begin marking on my calendar? How, how should I think about this three months from now? How should I think about this three years from now? People say to me sometimes, tell me how to walk with God. The weekend before I came, just last Saturday, 
I went camping with my buddy Randy and his twin five-year-old boys. And uh, as we came off the little plateau where we'd set up the tent and so on, we were camped at his uh, uh, his nephew's ranch, uh, Martin and, and uh, Tara. And they're a young couple, uh, just getting started in life and so on, and uh, live out in the middle of nowhere. And as we came off the hill and we're heading into, you know, kind of get organized, head so head head back to town and so on. I noticed Martin and Tara, uh, their lane that comes off the dirt road is a mile long. Just their driveway is a mile long. And they were walking hand in hand up their dirt lane um, to the road, the dirt road, and then they were going to turn around and walk back. So a two-mile walk, and they were... You know, walking the dogs were doing their thing out in front of them as they walked. You know what they're doing? They're falling more deeply in love. They're spending time together. They're building a relationship. They're fostering the love that inspired them to say, I do, in the first place. They've retreated for just a moment to walk to the end of their lane and back. Half hour. That's what I'm trying to describe for you. And that's how you walk with God. You walk to the end of the lane and back. And tomorrow you walk to the end of the lane and back again. And the next day you do the same thing. And you believe by faith that God, who has gone to the trouble to make himself personal, will meet you there. And he'll talk to you. And he'll share his thoughts and his heart and his dream with you. And that he will... With your invitation, enter into your story and make it personal to him, just like it is to you. He will take advantage of those personal disciplines that you put in place, such that when he gets ready to talk with you, you're available. He will become real to you. He will be personal. He'll be your personal God. And furthermore, he will talk to you. He will have discussion with you. Believe me, he didn't come all the way down here for nothing. He came down here to get you. And he wouldn't have gotten you unless he intended to spend time with you. His hope is that you will have a discussion and that you will grow and that your relationship will flourish. And one of the great secrets of how you make this happen is you find that solitude just like your older brother did. You pull away. You slip away. You go up the mountain. You send the crowd away. You get up in the morning while it is still dark. You walk away. You go as your custom is to the garden or wherever to a place of solitude. And there you pray. Father, thank you for being interested. Thank you for caring. Thank you for coming all this way, determining not to leave until you had us. Thank you for making it possible for us to be able to communicate with you. Thank you for putting the wherewithal inside of us, a new heart, 
that not only knows your thoughts and desires, but is capable of expressing our own thoughts and desires, such that a bond happens that will stand us in good stead for all of eternity. Father, I pray that as I pack up and go back to Cowtown, that you will take all of these things that we have discussed over the course of these last four days and that you cause them to take root and to flourish in my friends' lives such that one of these days soon they will be able to look back and say, you know what? I have grown. I have formed. My spiritual life has developed. And you, God, have become personal. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the Christ is Life Conference hosted by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know God deeper and disciple Christians on their journey to life and freedom that they may love others from their new pure heart by faith in Jesus Christ, living through them as a result of their union with Christ at the cross. For more information, upcoming events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.